We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Today's episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show is brought to you by the Bronx Brewery's Bronx Banner Ale. This golden easy ale is the perfect beer for before, during, and after Yankees games, whether you're watching at home or you're at the game. It is now available at the stadium in more than six sections and at a number of bars around the Bronx. You can also check it out at the Bronx Brewery's Tasting Room, which is located in the South Bronx. And by the way, this is the beer we're going to be drinking at our June 10th event at Billy's. Next time you're at the stadium, definitely grab a Bronx Banner Ale. Let's get into the show. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 141. Coming up later on the show, we have Rich Kaufman, and we're going to get into everything with the Jeter and A-Rod saga. But before that, we have a lot to get to. Scott, what's up? It's always good waking up. We're recording this on Thursday morning. It's always good waking up after a Yankees win versus a loss. Yeah, a little Jeter A-Rod talk last night. Nice little uh, nice little W last night with um, with Severino really getting back to his dominant form. It's like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go as far as say as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde like Michael Pineda because I don't he's not he's not as frustrating to me. It's just uh, I feel like there's small lapses, but um, he really showed what he what he had last night. So yes, it's a good morning. I'm excited. Severino's on on the on the good side again, <laughs> and uh, we need to win some more games. So it's it's uh, we need him there. 
<laughs> understatement of the year. Let's just keep winning ball games. <laughs> win, uh, win ball games. Win series. Let's go. We are over 300 tickets sold for that June 10th event. It's rapidly approaching. You missed your deadline as you're listening to this to buy your ticket and get a t-shirt with the ticket. Uh, you can still buy tickets, though. As I said, we're over 300. We want to get to 395. Scott, any updates on the June 10th? Yeah, and just to clarify, you can still get your T-shirt. You will get a T-shirt, but you'll most likely not get it the day of. I had the uh, I had a pretty hard cutoff date with the uh, with, with the print shop to make sure that we got all the T-shirts so that I have them on the day of. Um, but if you do order from now until Tuesday, which is our deadline right now, that may be pushed back a little bit. But Tuesday currently is the deadline. Um, you will still get a T-shirt, but it'll have to be shipped to you, so you'll you'll have a couple extra bucks on top of that for shipping. Yeah, so you'll just be the loser in the crowd without a T-shirt. Everyone else is going to be rocking. Exactly. So you'll have to co- <laughs> you have to color coordinate to make sure that you look like us as well. But the um, the the good thing is is that there are still some tickets left. There's not a lot. I got to do an updated count as far as where we are to that 395, but we're getting pretty damn close. So. Um, if you are waiting, I don't know why I've, uh, we've been pitching this for a very long time. Go get your damn tickets, pick them up, and uh, make sure you solidify a seat because once they're gone, they're gone. There's only so many seats in 205 and 206 available. Well, sometimes people take uh, – they don't know what they're going to be doing on June 10th, but they're they're realizing it's still – it's not going to be beach weather probably yet on June 10th. And 64 bucks for all-you-can-drink beer at, at Billy's pregame plus a game ticket and a T-shirt, that's the best deal going. So – Definitely go get that ticket. Also, please take a minute to rate and review this podcast in iTunes or whatever or wherever it is that you're listening. It helps out the show, and Scott and I really appreciate it. All right, let's get into everything that's going on with the team right now. Monday morning, uh, the Yankees flashed that they have Judge Chambers out in right field. What did you think of that? Well, I think it's interesting. I don't know. When I first saw it, I was like, "Some someone someone's messing with Photoshop here. Like, this is a bad Photoshop job of uh, Yankee Stadium." Didn't it look and like that? It did. It kind of looked like a terrible Photoshop at first. It looked like it was literally taken from like people's court, and then they just put in it in right field somehow. And I was when I saw that it was real, I was I was a little surprised. Honestly, I was surprised that the Yankees were doing that because, um, if I'm being honest, I think it's a little cheesy, and the Yankees are are pretty well known for not being cheesy like that with with some of their promotions and things they're doing but you know what the it's a the Yankees are doing different things now and you know it's, it's being embraced and uh it's it's a cool thing I like what they're doing with the seats they're you know giving them to charity or you know people who are um non-profits or whomever they're, they're choosing for those seats so I like the whole concept behind it I think it's cool um but yeah it's a little bit on the on the cheese side and then second pretty damn early pretty damn early <laughs> To be put in a permanent structure in right field behind well, the guy who's had two month, a month and a half. Well, it's one of those things. I mean, I don't know how permanent it is. It looked like it. I mean, went, I get that. It looks like it was installed in about forty-five minutes. But if you have to take it out, that's even more awkward. Right. Yeah. I mean, permanent to the sense that it's. I mean, it's not. They don't change it every every game. It's no. there. I mean, it's it's there. It's a it's a set, <laughs> and it's uh it's it's a little early for that. I don't know. I, it's, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned with the uh, with the repercussions of a curse. It's absolutely it's absolutely cheesy. It's absolutely gimmicky. But who cares? This is sports. We're not talking about high finance or anything. I mean, come on, people who get upset over teams doing gimmicky things like this is sports entertainment. This is what it's supposed to be. They're trying to build a new experience for fans. That's 
that's that's their whole angle this year, if you haven't noticed, is building new experience for fans in the stadium. And this is just another thing that they're doing. So whatever. It's new. It's it's a new they're turning over a new leaf. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna hate on it. No, I don't hate it. I, I'm just I was surprised. That was that was it. I, I mean I think it's fine. I think it's it's uh it, it's kinda cool at the same time, but like <laughs> all these guys are wearing the judges' robes and I mean, you know That's gonna be really of, hot on, on like a July fifteenth ball game. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'll see how long those wigs stay on in the middle of the summer. I mean, you go back to the the game where Judge made his debut. Oh and God! My God! If you put a robe in the a robe and a wig on me, I literally don't think I would have made it out of the stadium alive. I was sweating Bud Light that day. <laughs> but you know, it's it's uh, I, I think it's cool. I, I like that they're trying new things. I like that they're they're going a little different. It's just to me, it's just out of character for the New York Yankees. That's all. Did you see Winfield's comments about it? He said, uh, "Be careful. It's a little early." to be putting this kind of pressure on a young kid. Now, I mean, Judge seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders and everybody says he's the nicest guy in the world and pressure doesn't get to him and he takes everything one step at a time and that's all great. But I think there is, Winfield's right, there is now some added pressure. I mean, behind him he's got his own freaking section. Derek Jeter never had his own freaking section. (laughs) No, and it happened so fast. The, I couldn't I, like. When, I was like, "Holy crap, that's fast! This must be fake. with the speed in which it happened." They probably the saw season. all the number ninety nine jerseys flying off the shelves, and they're like, "We got to capitalize on this." Yeah, let's sell some robes and a wig and a and a, <laughs> and a foam hammer. The uh, yeah, no, but I think Winfield's absolutely right. I think it's you know, look, I don't I don't know why you need to add that that type of pressure to a guy like this who's doing so well. Like, why not just let him go for a while? Because. You know, maybe you're right. He does have a gray head on his shoulders. All these things. Everybody says, you know, everything about him as as being such a poised and uh, you know beyond his years player. But when you have a guy that big, I mean, someone who presses just a little bit, it could really mess up that swing. I mean, I think I think his anytime when he struggles, it's a, it's a bigger deal of getting back than someone else who's not as as big in um, you know just in physique. I think I think smaller things can mess with you for longer. I don't know. It's just a it's a the timing to me was a little strange as far as if you're looking at baseball strictly baseball stuff this is obviously the marketing department or the pr department whoever put this thing up do you think they consulted the baseball operations people brian cashman joe girardi etc yeah i guarantee cashman knows everything that's going on and but do you think girardi and cashman showed any hesitation i I don't know i I don't know maybe cashman did because he's just he wants his guys to do well and he wants zero distractions yeah because it's his name on the board on on all these young guys so he's like no zero distractions please zero distractions these guys need to do well uh just just saying that judge has been in sort of a mini slump since those chambers went up he went uh he has no home runs since those things went in at yankee stadium (laughs) yeah it's only been been three games that's a really hard spot for Judge to hit also. Well, I don't think right, that's what they're As a right-handed for. batter. I'm, I'm just saying, that's a very difficult spot. I mean, you know there's going to be some a little bit of pressure. It's kind of like a bullseye. Low-line so, drive. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if he's trying to hit the ball opposite field a little too much now. <laughs> I've also, I also saw something this week that sort of pissed me off. And, and people were blaming Sanchez for Tanaka's struggles. Because if you look at Tanaka's numbers pitching to Romine this season – they're infinitely better than pitching to Sanchez. And it's a sample, small sample size on both. But, but people who are blaming Sanchez for Tanaka's struggles need to shut the hell up. Because if you look at Tanaka's numbers last year in seven games thrown to Gary Sanchez, he had a 1.94 ERA. So 
What changed this year? Suddenly, Gary Sanchez no longer can call a good game. He can no longer catch a good ball game. That's bullshit. Tanaka is just struggling. And and people blaming catchers for pitcher struggles, I think, is horseshit. I don't know. I haven't seen much of that. I don't know if it's just like a bunch of Twitter people just saying stuff. But the uh, look, if you look early in the season, Tanaka struggled. If you look uh, in the middle of, of this sample size that we have so far, Tanaka has struggled. He struggled all year long. He's had a flash or two, but for the most part, the guy has struggled. It doesn't matter who he's throwing to. If you look what um, what Romine did with those pitchers when Sanchez was out, he had really good success. I mean, he hit a good hot streak with these guys. He's had some downtimes too. It, it, when we say this, when I say that there's a personal catcher, I'm mostly joking because I really don't believe in that. I think that these guys are all, you know, very, they all have similar game plans. The catchers talk. Like, I think if you're on the same team as a catcher, you're probably calling a relatively similar ball game for, you know, you may receive the ball a little differently, but I want to say that the, that these guys, Sanchez and Romine are probably on the same page with the pitchers because they're all in the same meetings. They're all going to the same guys. They're all watching the same practice. So, you know, there's, there's a, a level of confidence with both of these guys and, there's no possible way I'm putting this on Sanchez at all. If I I hate that uh, when people say that personal catchers w- would make all the difference for pitchers. I mean, how mentally weak can a pitcher be if just who he's throwing the ball to could be the difference between say seven innings and two runs given up, or three run or three innings and five runs given up? It, that that is the stupidest thing I ever heard. I understand some guys feel more comfortable with other guys if they're on a good rhythm or if they're just in sync, but for it to be that different, I think is is an indictment on the pitcher versus the catcher. Yeah, if you're exactly if you're a, a pitcher and you can't throw to your catcher, who's also a professional baseball player, and you're you're crying because you have to throw to one one guy over another guy, then then you're not the professional in this situation. You're the guy that needs to make the adjustment. You're the guy that needs to you know throw to who, whoever's receiving the ball. It's a it's it should be an absolute non-issue, and I and I and I think it is. I don't think it's an issue at all with Tanaka. I, I don't think, think Tanaka it is, is struggling. I think Tanaka is struggling, and that's the bottom line. I, I agree. I don't think it's an issue either. Um, Yankees won the first game against Kansas City, uh, and and they they lucked out on a replay call in the seventh inning. So what happened was, if you guys missed it, is that there was a ball. Uh, Carter picked the ball at first base, and there was a um, a runner rounding third base with two outs. Carter hesitated looking at the umpire to see what he was going to call. The umpire ended up calling it safe. That allowed the runner to score because Carter sort of pulled a mini Chuck Knobloch on this play where he waited to see what the umpire was going to say before he threw home. The runner scored. At that point, it tied the game. It was overturned because uh, of replay. It was a very close play. I didn't think they were going to overturn it. And then, of course, Carter comes back and hits a solo home run in the next inning. But... Chris Carter just adding to the fuel, adding fuel to the fire of, of things for Yankees fans to bitch about. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it was a you know no harm, no foul. It was a classic little league move, staring at the umpire, staring at the play while people were circling the bases. Yep. But the um, yeah the Chris Carter, I, I don't know, man, he's been kind of hot lately, hitting some bombs. <laughs> well, this dude, the pitchers are, are hitting his bat pretty uh, pretty accurately the past couple of games. I heard uh, if he could just play Kansas City the whole the whole season, then he'll be fine. I heard yesterday on the broadcast that three of his yeah. four home runs this year are off KC. Yeah, no, it was one. Yeah, I heard the same thing. The one against Pittsburgh, and then the rest of it's Kansas City. He's he's teeing off on Jason Vargas' <laughs> eighty-five mile an hour fastball. 
Hey, Carter just uh, his his days are numbered at this point. I don't think there's anything he could do between now and say two weeks from now when I think both Austin and Greg Bird are going to be nearing coming back um, that Carter could do to stay on this team at this point. Well, yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take Austin not not you know gearing up and playing well in AAA, and then and then the the fear of of having Greg Bird as uh, as your number one and and with a lingering issue. I mean, if that if that ankle is truly one hundred percent clear and he comes back to hit, then then we're looking at something non issue. But I mean, over the past two years now, we've seen Greg Bird injured a lot. Yep. And uh, the Yankees are not going to just get rid of a first baseman who could play defense and hit an occasional home run when he, you know, falls into one. Are we? Just, uh, when do we start getting worried about Greg Bird's injury uh, situation? I mean, I think we're worried now. I think I'm. I think when you see that the the injury is worse than that everybody had talked about, and that he tried to come back and it, and it was still a lingering issue, I think there's there's cause for concern right there because. You know, if that if that bone bruise, this this uh this ankle thing, took this long to heal, one sounds like Mark Teixeira left something on first base for him, and that's <laughs> soft bones, and and two, you know, I don't know, is there truly in, is it really healed? Is it? It's one of those things that that's like a feel thing, right? You just it, it just has to it just has to happen, and it's taken a long time. So, it, the 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 telltale sign is going to be how he's hitting when he gets back, because if he's not hitting, then we got problems. Yeah, we lost Greg Bird for two months from him falling a ball off his ankle. Yeah, that's yep. It's that's like you good. said, a hundred percent Mark Teixeira like. Yeah, <laughs> that's not not where you want to be with the with the uh, Teixeira comparisons. And as far as injuries go, I mean, last year's injury, uh, uh, uh what was it, rotator cuff or uh, labrum, lab- shoulder labrum. <laughs> it was uh, a shoulder, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a totally different injury than a bone bruise. But the fact of the matter is, he seems like a slow healer. Soft tissue. Injuries are not good, and then soft bone injuries. <laughs> you got not good. There, there's got some guys are fast healers, some guys are slow healers. Um, Greg Bird seems like he's a slow healer. Uh, this game and really the whole series against Kansas City, the Yankees have been just hitting home runs, and uh, some guys are going into slumps. I, I sort of mentioned it earlier. Judge is in a mini slump. Um, some guys are getting on base. Uh, less often so the home runs that used to be two run homers and three run homers are now a lot of solo homers and with the Yankees inability to hit with runners on base I actually looked it up they leave the most guys in scoring position per game in Major League Baseball 3.95 runners so essentially four runners left in scoring position per game uh, the Yankees lead baseball in that category and I understand part of that is because they put a lot of guys on base. Right. Overall, they have a high team OBP. I think the Nationals are like third or fourth in the league, and, and their offense is on fire. So I understand that that comes with the territory. But the fact of the matter is, this team is not hitting enough with runners in scoring position. Well, yeah, and you just hit it. I mean, I was going to say that when you when you put a lot of runners on, those you're going to be at the top of, of runners left on as well. But you know, I, I think it's it's evident now when this team, if you're looking up and down the lineup, I think the DD is is smoking hot right now. But you're seeing a lot of the guys that were were super hot early in the season. Um, not, I'm not saying they're coming back to earth, but they've they've definitely slowed down just a bit. And that's that has to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. Hopefully, the the whole team doesn't do it at one time. It does seem like a bunch of them are doing it right now. But you have guys like DD. That's the beauty of this team. It's so deep that when you do have guys struggling, you're having guys that 
you know, can pick you up and, 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 and get to that hot point that can, uh, that can help the team out. And Didi is one of those guys who's been just on fire. I mean, hitting the ball out of the ballpark, hitting against left-handed pitching, hitting against right-handed pitching. I mean, he's been, he's been really, really good since coming back from that injury. Absolutely. But I think as far as the Yankees, uh, struggles with runners in, in scoring position, that's, sort of contributed to their loss on Tuesday night. It was a painful loss because they had a 2-0 lead going into the seventh inning. Montgomery was cruising, gives up a solo homer to Lorenzo Cain. And with a one-run lead, Joe Girardi is not going to leave a rookie pitcher out there when he's got a bullpen that he trusts more. So that's why Girardi took out Montgomery. It it wasn't because... um, I saw people complaining that he didn't leave Montgomery out there long enough, but... Montgomery has not earned that trust in Girardi's book to go out there and finish an inning with a run, one run lead. I don't think. Yeah, and it, you know, it's I, people. People are gonna. He's gonna make decisions like this that that are gonna drive people mad uh, because they don't work out. But if they do work out, then they'll be like, okay, he took him out right at the right time. It was the perfect time. You want to leave this kid with confidence. You want to do all these things so that this kid comes back on the next on his next turn and um, and can build off of this. I mean, there's so many times you can look at that. That if it does work, because a lot of times it does work, um, that that it's a complete flip of the situation. But yeah, I agree with you that Girardi Girardi's known for having this this uh, you know he has confidence in some guys and other guys he's got a shorter leash for in in certain situations. He's got confidence in his bullpen, whether they've been good or, or uh, as of late or not. He's got confidence in them, so he's going to go to the, the the guys that he knows will will do the job. And if you don't have confidence in your bullpen. And you're you're being wishy washy. Then there's a problem with your ball club. And I'm glad that Joe has confidence in the in the guys. They didn't do it this time, but I can't fault him for taking Montgomery out. He went to Adam Warren, and Warren is one of his most trusted guys, despite the fact that he's allowed seven runs over his last five and a third innings pitched. And this is after he only allowed one run in his first 19 innings pitched. So Warren is kind of on a cold streak right now. Gives up the two run homer to Bonifacio. That's pretty much was the difference in the game. Royals. Took the lead at that point, never gave it up because then Chase and Shreve puked all over himself, and so did Jonathan Holder. But I also blame the offense because they left eight runners on base and went one for six with runners in scoring position. So they had chances earlier in that game to give Montgomery a bigger lead. And if it's, say, a 4 nothing game going into the seventh inning and then Montgomery gives up the solo home run, Girardi probably leaves him out there. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's the thing about the the whole. If if there is a one run game with a guy like him, because he doesn't have that confidence, because he hasn't earned it, like you said, he's gonna pull him. And uh, I, it didn't work out, but I kind of I like the move. I think it's I think it's the right move. Yep. Yankees bounced back Wednesday with a three nothing tidy little victory. Severino looked dominant in this game, maybe his best outing of the season. Eight innings. This is an interesting stat that I saw on Twitter last night. Severino has five starts this season of seven plus innings. Tanaka, Cece, and Pineda have six combined. So that just goes to show you the potential, maybe the ace potential of Luis Severino. I mean, he's de- he's definitely got the stuff. There's no doubt about it. He's got to clean up these. Uh... I mean, he was he was efficient with uh, with pitches getting into that, and that's his key. I think if he's if he's making his pitches, if he's if he's hitting his zones, if um, you know he's throwing the ball with confidence as, as far as that changeup and that slider. The slider was filthy last night, and uh, we know he's got the the highest, or at least the last time we looked, he was the highest average four seam fastball velocity as a, of all starters. So you know he's throwing gas when his breaking stuff is on, and and he's around the plate. He's he's tough to hit. So I'm glad he had this bounce back. Because um, you know he was getting into trouble too early in his last start, and it was just 
it was uh, it was hopefully not a sign of things to come. This is a good sign. He took advantage of a, a struggling Royals lineup for a bounce back start, and that's exactly what pitchers like Severino should do. He bounced back against a bad lineup, and that's what Tanaka needs to do on Thursday afternoon: is take advantage of a weak hitting Royals lineup. Yeah, and he did. Oh, Tanaka, you're right. That's what I'm saying. Tanaka has the opportunity to do exactly what Severino did. And it's a good thing because, one, he needs to do it, first of all. This, it's, a, it's almost a, a must. Um, I'm not going to say a must win, but a must rebound, a must, a must do well performance, just look, if you will. Just look average. Just don't. He has to. Just look average. He's got to look good against this lineup. Against this lineup, the way it's, I mean, granted, the one thing that scares me about the Royals and, and Tanaka, one, it's a day game. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit warmer. Tanaka throws a lot of meatballs over the plate, <laughs> and the Royals will take you deep. And uh, that that that's one thing that's concerning to me because the Royals will hit home runs against you. And uh, if Tanaka is not down on the zone, they're going to be teeing off on him. Yeah. Let's see if you make that adjustment. Hopefully, he's down in the zone. When Tanaka is down in the zone, he's nasty because then the fastball looks like the splitter, and nobody can hit him. That's. But when he's up in the zone, he's meatballs. Well, a little uh, advanced metrics for you. Tanaka is actually getting less swings on balls low in the zone this year. So maybe maybe he's maybe batters are seeing the ball better out of his hand or something or learning to lay off that splitter. But I know pitch FX shows that Tanaka is getting a fewer percentage of swings at balls uh, in the lower half of the strike zone than he did last season. Well, maybe because they're just waiting for him to make the mistake up. And they're not going to swing it. Maybe, but that's an adjustment that hitters make. Yeah, absolutely. And pitchers need to readjust. But but the thing is, is if he is leaving the ball up in the zone more often than not, and I'm a hitter, I'm not. If I see anything low, you know, starting at the knee, I'm not swinging at it because it may drop off the off the plate. But if if I know that he's going to, if if the percentages are telling me that he's going to come back up at some point and make a mistake across the plate, I'm going to sit and wait for that thing and then and then hit it really far, really far. Betances is also four for four in saves. And uh, what up, Randy? What's up, Randy? Betances dominating. How many ticket sales do you think uh, Betances has made based on the, the fact that he's the closer now? A lot. Can we get a can we get a section in the uh, in the bleachers for Betances? He needs to. Uh, he needs to get residuals on ticket sales at this point because he's the closer now. Oh yeah, I mean people are coming to see him in the ninth inning. There's no doubt about it. He's been filthy this season. When 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 you have Betances with that breaking ball, I mean, <laughs> you're throwing high nineties as a six. How how tall is he? Six eight, six eight dude throwing hundred miles an hour, ninety nine miles an hour at you, and then you have that 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 curveball slider thing that just drops off the face of the planet. It's unfair. It's unfair when he's on. So I'm glad that he has a clean ninth inning to work with because I think this is when he's at his best. Uh, and I I don't think the uh, I don't think we're we're seeing too many of those situations where he's coming in with runners on scoring, runners on base and scoring position and things like that that start messing with him. The guy when he has a clean inning, is the uh, is at his best by far, and he's been awesome so far. You know damn well he's trying to be so good right now too. Yeah, I like to imagine that in the back of his mind he's sticking it to Levine every every single pitch he's throwing right now, and that's fine with me. Yeah, use that chip on your shoulder. I hope it's working. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Bit of roster news. So Ellsbury, on the first play of last night's game, has got a concussion for running into the wall and a sprained neck, which I know that probably sounds worse than it is, but sprained neck does not sound good. People were speculating it might be Ref Snyder called up, might be Mason Williams called up because both of those guys are on the 40-man. It is Ref Snyder getting the call up. Ellsbury's on the seven-day DL. So if it's a minor concussion, he'll be back after seven days. Ref Snyder's just going to be the emergency outfielder because... 
He's not going to start, I don't think, in the outfield. It'll be Gardner, Judge, and Hicks for the next seven days. Uh, Yankees don't even have an off day either. Um, but uh, you knew it was going to be a 40-man roster play and not either uh, Fowler or Frazier because those guys aren't on the 40-man. So the, the, the likelihood of that were, were pretty slim. <laughs> Ref Sider is taking a, a seven-day vacation in New York. That's what's happening. A very, a very nicely paid vacation. A nicely paid vacation. You know, you got to get there on the shuttle, but that's fine. Once you get there, the accommodations are nice. You have a great view for the game. And, um, yeah, he's not going to be playing too much because it seems like whenever he comes up, he doesn't play. He's just there. And, uh, and yeah, he's going to have a good view of the, of the game. I, I don't know what to say about Ref Snyder anymore because I don't, I don't know where he fits in this team. I don't even know why he's getting called he doesn't. up. They don't, they don't play him. He well he he's getting called up like I said he's on the forty man so it's an easy yeah. call up and he can play left field and right field, right. Mason Williams also on the forty, not getting called up. Interesting moves. Ref Snyder still has the the. I mean, as much as they talk about his defense being the the his biggest Achilles heel, they're pulling him up as basically a defender. Yep. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy that's going to plug in most likely play defense, maybe getting that bat here and there. But I mean, he's he's. They have to have confidence in his in his defense for him to be this this role as you know the fourth fifth outfielder. I just want him to get traded at this point so he has an opportunity to play some more. Because Seriously. like he told, I mean you you did that podcast with him. He seemed I was upset I couldn't do the podcast. Uh, I love talking to the players. He seemed like one of the nicest guys in the world. Like he's earned at least a shot at a at a major league roster spot. I agree. I mean the guy he's. He's got to be so frustrated at this point because, you know, he did pretty much everything he could possibly do in AAA. Granted, when he had the opportunity to come up, he didn't, he didn't do well um, to, to his standards. He did not hit like I think everybody thought he was going to hit. I think he was put in some, some interesting situations early it's on. Hard. But it's, it's hard when you're, you're getting like sporadic playing time to hit. He hit in 2015. 2015, when he got consistent playing time down the stretch at second base, he hit. Yeah. I think I think his career right now would be in a different area if Joe had had actually pulled the trigger and played him over Stephen Drew. Yeah, I think we would have seen we'd be seeing a different player right now. Maybe maybe at the very least someone would have traded for him and he'd be playing on a different team somewhere. Yeah, his because I, I think he would have hit. I think his his stock would be a hell of a lot higher than it is now. And um, you know whether it's whether it's on another team or or really embracing that that utility role. I think we would have seen a different player, but I think you can go back to him being stunted when Stephen Drew is just being horrible up in the Bronx the entire time. Final bit of news. Chase Headley is officially put on notice because Gleyber Torres got called up to AAA. We mentioned it last time on the podcast. He's on a 3-3-2 rotation, so he's three days at third base, three days at shortstop, two days at second base. Third base is the first position the Yankees are playing him in AAA. Chase Headley, meanwhile, is batting 157 in the month of May. That is essentially as bad as he was last April when he was the worst offensive player in Major League Baseball. I don't think it's a stretch to say Gleyber Torres could replace Chase Headley at third base sooner rather than later. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I think in the beginning when we were talking about this in the offseason or even in spring training, we're saying that's the spot. That's the spot right there. Either that or Castro moves to third, but third base is the position that's going to have to give. At this point, Castro is going nowhere. They're going to keep him at second base. Didi's going nowhere. They're going to keep him at short. The obvious position in the infield besides first base that Glaber Torres does not play is third base. 
And yes, Chase Headley is back to old Chase Headley. He has lost the tapes. The San Diego tapes have been lost. He cannot go back and look at them any longer. I don't know why. I think it was a VCR and it got somebody forgot to rewind and it got ruined. And now he has gone back to early 2016 Chase Headley, which is not a good version of himself. <laughs> he duped everybody. Yeah, he needs to go back. He needs to go back to the barber who cut his hair early in the season. Get that haircut back. Get that tan going. Get all these get all these good vibes going. Otherwise, he is uh, he's going to be replaced. And this is another one of those contracts that you're looking at the Yankees who are going to be eating some contracts at some point. Circle Ellsbury, Circle Headley. These are the two guys that they will eat contracts if there are guys that are playing behind them that are young dudes and are playing better. It's going to happen. The Yankees aren't afraid to eat those contracts anymore. I think we've uh, all proved that with Mr. Alex Rodriguez still on the payroll. Yeah, I mean, Ellsbury's is a seven-course meal they'd have to eat. Uh, Chase Headley's is a little minor after-dinner snack if they want to eat that at this point. Yeah, so this is uh, this is exactly what's happening. I mean, if, if Glaber Torres comes into AAA and lights it up, like, like Cashman said early in spring training, it, he will dictate when he gets called up. It'll be how he plays. He's going to knock down the door. If he knocks down the door, he's going to come up. All right, guys, coming up is the A-Rod and Jeter podcast. But before that... Call the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. Light up those voicemails for Monday's show. People have been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. Get in touch with us at Yankees Podcast on Twitter, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. We will talk to you guys in a few days. And now we're going to get into the long-awaited Derek Jeter versus Alex Rodriguez podcast. Joining us is Rich Kaufman. What's up, Rich? What's up, guys? What's going on? Scott, I was going back and looking to do some research on this. This thing is multi-layered, this drama between these two guys. I mean, of course it is. This is, uh, this is, this is the saga that Derek Jeter wants nothing to do with, first of all. Let's get that straight. The only person that benefits from this is Alex Rodriguez because now – he is in our mouths. He's, he's, he's being talked about. And it's the only way that he's going to have the affiliation with Jeter is if people talk about their previous relationship. So he loves this stuff. Well, it's, it's interesting to go back and look at the, the early years. I call them the bromance years because these two guys were really close friends. And I don't think it's exaggerated. I think people maybe forget about it because it's been so long. But, but Rich, I mean, they stayed at each other's houses when the Yankees and Mariners would play. That's that's borderline weird. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing this. Uh, it was a This Week in Baseball episode, and it was, I think it was 1997. Jeter was in Seattle, and they he was wearing a leather jacket. It was pretty 90s. And he was going on his way. He was on his, uh, he was on his way to A-Rod's apartment to go get coffee. Uh, and it was, on, it, was, it was on YouTube for the longest time, and uh, it got deleted somehow. So maybe... Maybe Jeter got in there and deleted it from the archives, but yeah, uh, yeah, they were as they were as close as you could possibly be uh, back then. Jeter is now and, erasing the internet history of this relationship. I mean, <laughs> there is there is no proof that they were actually friends and and actually blood brothers. Quote from uh, every time Alex Rodriguez talks about it, they're blood brothers. Jeter would never say something like that. A Rod, of course, goes to we're blood brothers. Like you know, they were like cutting their hand with a knife and squeezing it on each other. I guarantee he's got some sort of story fabricated about that exact situation. 
Yeah, Jeter probably looks back at it like that that couple year period where he he was dating somebody that he really regrets, and he just tries to forget about it. Like his friends probably don't let him forget that he was once besties with A Rod. Yeah, it's pretty funny because there's there are quotes in 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 articles about them having sleepovers, like you were saying. A Rod was quoted about saying, "I think we we had sleepovers five days a week, and now we don't have sleepovers anymore." <laughs> so it's just the way it is. That's just that's just the way it is. Like that's this is strange. What do you think happened on those sleepovers? <laughs> See, now we're getting to the crux of the issue. <laughs> you guys, like, have you seen that picture of, of A-Rod, Jeter, and Carmen Electra at some, like, charity softball game? Back in, no, like, but oh I should God. look it up. <laughs> you this, should. What, where are we t- what year are we talking about? Because this is very relevant, I think, to I think it's like I think it's like 97, 98. Ooh. See, I like that. That's, uh, I think that's going to where my mind has gone this entire time. <laughs> But personally, I mean, we're going to get into all of the, the, the different things that happened that everybody knows about. But personally, what I believe is that there was a woman or there was some weird incident that people don't want to talk about. And that is exactly the first initial reason why they are no longer friends. And then A-Rod, you know, obviously did everything he did. And Jeter's like, okay, I'm done with this dude. Do you think it was A-Rod stealing Jeter's girl or vice versa? 100%. Uh, A-Rod doing something weird with Jeter's girl. I'm not even saying stealing, but just doing something weird. So now you're really getting into it. So on those sleepovers, do you think there were some devil's threesomes that happened? Yes, but I don't, I don't think Carmen Electra is the is the one that no, was. No, that would have been, she would not have kept the, the raps on that. Well, and that, and I don't think Jeter would have cared. I think it would have been just, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's Carmen Electra. I think something happened. I don't think it was one of the threesome nights, which I guarantee happened, or however many. But what I do believe is that Jeter was seeing someone and then A-Rod was like trying to get in on it because he's always been jealous of Jeter. And, and that's, it has to be stemming back towards some, some kind of a, a woman relationship. It's got to. Well, Rich, knowing what we know about both Alex and Derek, I think it's more plausible that Jeter would come home with a girl and A-Rod would be on the couch just watching highlights of himself. <laughs> yeah, because A-Rod said... He says he watches baseball twenty four seven, and yeah. uh, Jeter had that whole thing in uh, in the city with you know being out twenty four seven with Steinbrenner getting on his case. So I could definitely see A Rod watching you know Sports Center highlights of him going four for four, hitting a grand slam, and in comes Jeter with some model, and A Rod's just like watches him go into the bedroom and uh, says something under his breath or something. So. I think the bromance was uh, peaked in 1999. You guys obviously remember that brawl. O'Neal was at the center of it between the Mariners and the Yankees at the Sky Dome or the, the King Dome, excuse me. It was called the King Dome, right? Yeah, King Dome. In Seattle. And famously, Jeter and A-Rod were basically away from the, the brawl, just sort of laughing and chatting with each other. That was, I think, peak bromance. And they got criticized for that. They should get criticized when your teams are going at it. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest... I think that's one of the biggest uh, complaints for for sports fans today. Is everybody's too too friendly? Everybody's too uh, buddy buddy on the field and in every single sport. You know, these guys are all playing together all all over the place, and they're friends. You know, in the off season, so nobody uh, nobody really has any real beef. And I think that was maybe that was the beginning of this uh, non beef athlete relationship thing. And I think also uh, part of where the initial rift came, whether there was a, a mystery girl or not, is the fact that, I mean, these guys were thought of as the shortstop renaissance. It was those two guys, Nomar, 
Omar Vizquel, um, a little bit later, Miguel Tejada, um, um, Barry Larkin, like the shortstops. Ray Ordonez. Ray Ordonez. The, uh, the shirtless Sports Illustrated pick. Exactly. The pick. Exactly. That was, I think, in uh, the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Because in 97, both Jeter and A-Rod appeared on the cover, just the two of them. Uh, but but anyway, I think because the of that, A-Rod and maybe he was right, thought he was better than the rest of those guys. He was at least putting up better numbers than those guys. So I think a lot of what he said to ESPN and later to Esquire after he signed that mega contract, basically criticizing Jeter, we'll, we'll read those quotes because they're pretty damning. But I think a lot of it came because Jeter was getting attention because he played in New York and they won the World Series multiple times. And A-Rod was probably thinking to himself, well, I hit 50 home runs and I have 100 RBIs and I bat 330. Why aren't I getting all the attention? I think one of the problems is is that A-Rod, may, he may think these things subconsciously, but he doesn't act upon them because he needs somebody to tell him what to do. And at that point, Scott Boris was like really peak Scott Boris. And Scott Boris was going after these mega contracts and doing these mega things and, and trying to you know sign the, the biggest and longest and whatever. He was trying to be the guy. And, you know, so he's probably feeding all of these things to A-Rod. Like, Jeter's not better than you. Jeter's this. Jeter is that. You're doing this. You're doing that. You need to tell people. You need to, you know, to put on this persona that you are the guy. You are the, you know, the number one baseball player that deserves the most money and the longest contract. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a very... Uh, it's a very big pattern with Alex Rodriguez and in that he always listens to whoever's next to him, whoever's chirping in his ear. And uh, yep. I think that was a big part of his downfall. Rich, you're nodding. You think uh, Boris was playing him like a fiddle? Yeah, definitely. I think he was trying to get A-Rod to talk himself up and try to, um, you know, he was pushing free agency at that point. And, uh, you know, like Scott said, with, even with the whole steroid thing, A-Rod listened to his inner circle which might not have always given him the best advice. Even when, you know, when he fought baseball, when he went on that, when he went on that, uh, that rampage against baseball, he was listening to the people, to his lawyers and the people closest to him. And I think he's, he's even admitted that. So, uh, I think he was definitely taking direction from Boris and it, and it wound up costing him. Yeah. The first quote that sort of started it all was he told ESPN that Jeter doesn't do the power numbers and defensively, he doesn't do all those things, um, when it was, I believe, Mike Lupica who asked him about Derek Jeter. And those comments seem pretty benign, but apparently Lupica made a big deal out of the story, which is what Lupica is supposed to do. I mean, he's a reporter, and it's A-Rod, probably the best player in baseball at the time, talking about his quote-unquote really close friend, Jeter, maybe the most popular baseball player at the time. So then this is where shit hit the fan, and A-Rod and Scott Boris both talked to Esquire, and A-Rod said, the thing about Mike Lupica that pisses me off is that he makes me look like the biggest dickhead in the world, and then he takes a guy like Jeter and just puts him way up there. Jeter, Jeter's been blessed with great talent around him, He's never had to lead. He can just go and play and have fun. And he hits second. That's totally different than third or fourth in the lineup. You go into New York. You want to stop Bernie and O'Neill. You never say, don't let Derek beat you. He's he's never your concern. That second quote from A-Rod is brutal on Jeter. I think he's right, though. But you don't say that in public. That's you exactly the problem. That's the problem. A-Rod has no filter. He's he's such a mimbo. He just he's like bleh. He just like spits out whatever comes to his mind or whatever's fed to him. He just says it. He's Ron yes, Burgundy. He says what's in thing. front of him. 
he probably heard Boris say that. I don't think he even thinks that because whether or not, I mean, part of the whole reason the Yankees waited to name Jeter the captain until 03 is because O'Neill was there and he was like the heart and soul of that clubhouse. So they didn't really feel comfortable. And also Jeter was in his mid twenties at the time. So I don't doubt that guys like O'Neill and Bernie were on the minds of people, but you're telling me teams didn't worry about Derek Jeter when they went to play the Yankees in 1999. Derek Jeter was like top five MVP candidates in 1999. He had an unbelievable year. No, these so are things. I, these are things that are absolutely being fed to him. You're, the, exactly. Whether he thinks them or not, it's. But that's a. That's such a problem. That that is exactly the crux of the problem to me with Alex Rodriguez <laughs> is that he just he doesn't. He doesn't use his own brain, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's any better though. That's the, the we don't know what his real brain does. Like we don't, I don't really know what Alex Rodriguez is like. Stuff. Yeah, birth control, exactly. Yeah. No, see, that's that's so funny. You're saying <laughs> that though, but that is the mind of Alex Rodriguez. That is the true mind. His handwriting, his notes, <laughs> birth control, pullout stuff, gray party, random shit. It's it makes no sense. Maybe that's what Jeter was te- teaching him back on those sleepovers. Pull out pull stuff, out yeah. Stuff. Yeah, 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 pull out stuff. Jeter did it right. He- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Boris also was quoted, there's a big difference. Jeter had 71 RBIs and 15 home runs. Jeter and Nomar last year had 15 and 21 home runs. You you can have a god uh, a golden bulldozer, but if there's no dirt to push, dot, 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 whatever the hell that means. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't – I think – a, a big part of this is that Boris um, Boris played a big role in this. And then remember in 07 when A-Rod opted out of his contract and then fired Boris. Maybe he finally got fed up with him. I, yeah, that was probably the, the last straw. He probably got advice from Boris to opt out during whatever game it was during the World Series. And A-Rod got so much shit for that then. You know, that was the that was the last straw with uh, with Boris. He just had another person talking in his ear, whoever that person was at the time. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do this. Again, do you think it was actually a conscious decision by Alex Rodriguez yeah. to fire Boris? Probably not. There's probably someone no. else around him. I think A-Rod like over the years has moments. A-Rod, I think, has moments of clarity and humanness. And they show up every now and again. And I think they showed up when he got fed up with Boris. But then, obviously, he reverted. They showed up after his first PED scandal. And he went on um, – he inter- was interviewed by Peter Gammons, and he was pretty emotional. So time and time again, we'll see A-Rod, uh, an actual genuine person. But then he quickly reverts back to this this baseball-playing robot. It's not just a baseball-playing robot. I am arguing that today, Alex Rodriguez is going reverting back to old A-Rod. Because if you re- we all remember during the, uh, the, the quote, A-Rodicence is what Andrew calls it, when uh, when he came back and became likable again, he shut his mouth. He finally stopped talking. Nothing dumb came out, and he just did his job. He went and he had a good season. He was he did he over uh, overdid everybody's expectations, and then all of a sudden he started like he you know he was terrible again. Retired. Now he's back in the booth, and he's becoming a rod again. He's becoming cocky. He's getting he, he wants all the attention. He wants me, 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 more, 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 me, me, me. And and he's becoming A-Rod all over again. And he's becoming that unlikable guy that just makes no goddamn sense to anybody. It's a it's a it's a circle of life, and he's now doing it as a broadcaster. Well well, Rich, um, I don't know if, if either of you actually read that Joe Tory book, The Yankee Years, but in the book, 
Tori killed A-Rod and basically called him an attention whore and that he was a gravitational force of attention. If anybody except Alex Rodriguez was getting the attention, he couldn't fathom it. He couldn't understand why Jeter or Bernie or any of these other guys, Giambia, I mean, the clubhouse was loaded with superstars. He couldn't understand why he wasn't the center of attention. Yeah, and I think Tori even said that A-Rod had his own guy in the clubhouse making him like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like... He had his own clubhouse, like, runner that would get him stuff. Uh, and he also said that A-Rod was more about the numbers than about the team, which is obviously Jeter's all... That's a knock... That, you know, that's a backhanded compliment, too, because... Not compliment, but... Jeter's you all know, about it, the it, team. No, it's a complete know? juxtaposition between the two. Right, you could see Tory was picking sides in a nonchalant well, way, I mean, obviously. Well, I mean, of course Tory was going to side with Jeter. That's well, yeah. not a surprise. Right. They're completely tied. You know, these these two guys, A-Rod is such an outcast in Yankee world with any of the Yankee alumni. I mean, he's got no, I don't really, it, it, when when this is all said and done in like 20 years, 30 years, when history looks back at this, when these guys are completely in the, in the, uh, in the background and not in conversations any longer, they're going to see that Alex Rodriguez was the outcast of the New York Yankees and nobody wanted him here. I guarantee that's going to be the storyline. Uh, but... Time and time again, we've heard stories that the young guys gravitate towards Alex and he's actually a really good mentor. I mean, as 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 messed up as the whole situation was last year, the bottom line is they still liked him enough to bring him around camp this spring. They didn't have to. They're going to have to pay him regardless. He was going to get his 21 million bucks this year regardless, but they decided to bring him in to camp and have him be a, quote, special advisor. So so I don't I mean. I'm sure there's some people who hated A-Rod over those years, but I think a lot of people liked him. I mean, um, basically, I mean, Mel, you remember uh, pretty much all the Latin players loved him. Which and I don't even, really understand because he's like a faith Latin player to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he he played on both the WBC, yeah. uh, WBC yeah. teams. But uh, I think even Girardi and A-Rod had a good relationship. And Girardi and Jeter, I don't think really... I mean, they got along, but... I think G, uh, Girardi was much more closer with A-Rod for some reason, as a, as a manager at least. See, well, I disagree. I, think, I disagree in that. I, I think he tolerated him is what happened, and I think Girardi puts on a good face because Girardi, that's what Girardi does. He always has. And I know he made some comments last year about how Alex is doing this and or the year before Alex is doing that and, and how they're they're working together on this this relationship. And there was always there was always something about if, if A-Rod was going to be benched when he was you know like severely slumping. And Girardi always said the right thing. But... You know, Girardi didn't want to deal with that. I think that's so obvious today when we're looking at this type of team. Like, Girardi's finally happy. He finally doesn't have, like, that painstaking look on his face that he had for the last two to three years of dealing with A-Rod and all these veterans being there that he had to, that he had to cater to all the time. He's actually, like, a baseball guy now, and he, I, I think it's, like, the, the greatest thing that could happen to Joe Girardi. Well, after the comments A-Rod made in 01, I think he realized he had a moment of clarity and he realized he's he said some some bad comments and he's a dick and he uh, reportedly drove to Jeter's house in spring training to apologize. Um, I I imagine him crawling up the up the walkway begging for Jeter's forgiveness and Jeter just basically kicking him to the curb and be like, you're dead to me. Because I think once you cross Derek Jeter, you're cut. That's it. You're yeah, cut out but- from the inner circle. He's like uh, De Niro from Meet the Parents. He's, it's like the, the circle <laughs> yeah. of trust. Once you're out, you're not getting back in. 
Yep. I, I can see Arad at the gate with the with the pushing the button on the video. Like, just <laughs> let me open the gate. Open the gate. Throwing, I got. Throwing, I got. Throwing, yeah, throwing, throwing pebbles. Throwing yeah. pebbles at his window. I got window. something to say. I got something to say. <laughs> open the gate. Just open the gate. Give me a chance. <laughs> and I don't think in Jeter's wildest imagination he could fathom the Yankees would trade for Alex Rodriguez. Oh I God. I can only imagine Rich. The look and the moment, the look on uh, Jeter's face, the moment he found out Arod was being traded to the Yankees. I mean, what do you think was going through his head at that point in '04? Like, like that's one of the few moments I wish I could go back and be like a fly in the wall. Like, it's the Kennedy assassination. I, you know, wish you could have seen. It's uh, and it's Jeter finding out that the Yankees are going to acquire Arod, and just the talk that Jeter might have had with his parents about it. Just Jeter's initial reaction. He was probably like, fuck, <laughs> like, I cannot yeah. believe I have to play like t- 20 feet away from this guy for like the next 10 years. I mean, I, I got to imagine he's still mad at Aaron Boone. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if like if when Jeter sees Boone in private, he's probably like, I wonder if he reminds him about that pickup basketball game he played. He's like, you really had to play basketball that badly. I mean, you you go back and look at that press conference announcing A-Rod as a Yankee and the the fake smiles on Jeter's face say a thousand words. There's one picture of Jeter where he it's like the it's the perfect moment that captures Jeter. His it's like the Godfather. Uh, Jeter's face is so, so angry. And Tori, too, kind of was like, I have to deal with this circus now for for the next couple of years. So. Um, definitely wish I could have seen Jeter's reaction. If you think uh, about the just the whole situation, I mean, why why would Derek Jeter even remotely want to have a guy like this around him? Because all it's doing is bringing negative connotations, negative stories, negative just vibes to the to now what Jeter's trying to do in in, in the moonlight of his career. Not the moonlight, but the you know towards the end. Why? Why? Oh, four. He was what. Uh, 29 years old? I'm not I saying mean, the was, movie. It was, uh, it was second half, if it will. Whatever. Yeah. He just doesn't want those those storylines well, around him anymore because he can't control this guy. Jeter has all has been all about control. His entire career, his entire playing career, he was about control. He controlled the media, he controlled what he, you know, what people knew. And now you got a guy like Alex Rodriguez who who the hell knows is going to say what about them <laughs> at sleepovers or whatever. And you know, he's maybe he's worried about what he's going to say. Maybe Arod is is holding something over his head. I don't know. There, there could be a lot of things going on. And pictures, Is some pictures. Yeah, and Jeter's like, dude, just go away. I don't want to deal well, with you. You're 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 a problem. While all that's accurate, on the field, at the time, I mean, Arod was the best player in baseball. He was coming off an MVP season, and he was agreeing to move to third base. I mean, uh, conceptually, Jeter should say, awesome. We're going to be a better team next year. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Jeter looked at it as we're getting, at that time, arguably the best player in the game. And it, Jeter's all about winning and winning rings. And if A-Rod can help him get another uh, another World Series ring, he's going to tolerate it. Even though, at first, he's probably like, this is the last thing I want. But when it came down to it, I think he saw the potential for all these championships, which obviously didn't come, unfortunately. But... I think that's the only reason he tolerated it uh, at first. So let me ask you a question here. I got a little conspiracy theory. Do you think that Derek Jeter, because I think a lot of these guys in Major League Baseball, when they're when they're uh, 
you know, when they're playing each other, there's there's a there's a lot of talking going on. People kind of know what's going down. I have a feeling that Jeter knew or, or thought something was going on with A-Rod in the steroid situation and the whole deal. And he's just like ahead of time, like, I'm, I'm distancing myself from this guy. I don't want to be remotely talked about. I don't want to be – I don't even want stories to come up about us being friends before because I know the steroid is going to leak. It's going to come out, and then they're going to go back to when he started doing it or when he started using it, and there's going to be speculation about me because we were boys. I have a feeling a lot yeah. of that had to do with it too. He was probably thinking, oh, shit, all those sleepovers. People are going to yeah. link us. Yeah, lots of sleepovers. Five no, days I a week. I think you're right. I think you're right that um, players in general probably know more about who's doing what than we think. Uh, and then that what even the media knows about. I mean, there's got to be, at, yeah. at the very least, rumors. I mean, there's got to be a million rumors going on at one time or another throughout Major League Baseball among players. Well, and just think about how many how many players move teams, how many coaches move teams, how many trainers move teams, how many clubhouse guys, you know, whether they're a, I mean, a physical therapist or whatever. They all know. They all know what's going on in a clubhouse. It does. You don't have to be a player to know this stuff. So there's a lot of people moving around. I mean, it, it, steroids was the number one conversation going on at this time in baseball, uh, Rich. I mean, this is they did that list in 03 for a reason. They wanted to know if they needed to implement testing because steroids was a problem. Barry Bonds had a moon-shaped head and he was hitting 73 home runs. Like, it was obvious people were doing steroids at the time. Right. And if you look at it, I mean, Clemens and Pettit were linked. Best friends always hanging around each other. Manny and... Uh, Ortiz were linked. So Jeter, I agree with Scott, was probably looking at it like, I better keep my distance from this guy because where there's smoke, there might be fire, and I don't want to deal with these allegations, so I'm just going to distance myself from the uh, from the get-go. So, Scott, what do you say to people who say that Jeter should have been the one to move to third base and not A-Rod? I say, why? I say Jeter had to do nothing of the sort. It was Jeter's team. It was Jeter's city. He had already won championships. You got a dude coming in that's an egotistical maniac who wants everything about me, 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 me. If you want to come here, then you're going to do what I tell you to do. It's not the other way around. There's no... Again, I still think Jeter had reservations for him coming over. So it's not like he was over the moon about Der or about uh, Alex Rodriguez coming to New York. So why is he going to make concessions? Not happening. He didn't have to. No, it would have. I think uh, people would have criticized Jeter at the time, Rich. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, like Scott said, he was the captain at the time, and it was his position, it was his team. But do you guys think if they came to Jeter and and they were like, we're going to acquire A-Rod, is that okay with you? What if Jeter said no? Do you think they still would have pulled the trigger on the deal, or would they have uh, shot it down? Do you think Jeter had, like, ultimate say? No, but I, I, I guarantee he voiced some kind of displeasure uh, about it, and... And, you know, it was talked through or whatever. I mean, if you remember the end of Jeter's career, there was there was a bit of a contention with the Yankees front office. There was a, and, and around that um, the re-signing, there was some weird stuff that happened. I don't think Jeter always had the greatest relationship with the Yankee brass. I think that there was a lot of like understood things, but I guarantee that stems from something and that maybe that's it. Maybe that's one of those things like he voices displeasure and they did it anyway. Yeah, I think um, he didn't have final say on anything, but I don't think they would have done it without his blessing. But I think they had to convince him on his blessing. So I think um, so I remember reading something that 
that Cashman basically had a long talk and, and Tory had a long talk with Jeter that basically saying, you're going to need to make amends on this situation because this is what's right for the team. And, and obviously Jeter was okay with it. And then a couple of years later, Cashman even um, reportedly told Jeter, you gotta, you're going to have to fake a congenial relationship between you guys because this is getting out of hand. And I think that was right after the whole situation um, in Toronto when A-Rod yelled ha on that pop-up. And like, this was when A-Rod was a traveling circus. I mean, meanwhile, he's putting up MVP numbers. He won the MVP in 05 and 07, but he's still a traveling circus. And this is before the whole steroid stuff. The dude can knock it out of his own way. I mean, why why do you think that Derek Jeter is, if they're coming to him and saying that it's, like, if you're, if you're telling me that the conversations for Tory and whomever else were trying to convince him that this is the best for the team, I bet Jeter took the other stance and said, no, this is not the best for the team. I don't care what numbers he's putting up. Look at the guys that we had around us in 96 and 98. These were not Alex Rodriguez-type guys. These were guys that had a position, had a role on a team, and there was a chemistry within the clubhouse. I guarantee you, if you ask Derek Jeter right now, if you believe that if you assemble a team of superstars or if you assemble a team of role players that have chemistry and can play together, which one's he going to choose? And he's going to choose the chemistry one because he knows that baseball is not just about assembling the greatest talent on one field. So I'm not even convinced that that was the, that that was the argument. And if it was, I don't think Jeter bought it. Do you think, and we actually, Joe's McFly actually tweeted us this. Do you think a lot of this could have been avoided if Jeter came out in public support of A-Rod either in 04 or maybe even later in 06, 07? Um, Scott, I'm reminded of when we did that podcast about uh, Maris and Mantle. And you said all Mantle had to do was tell the media, hey, get behind this guy. He's our guy. He's on our team. All, all Jeter ran New York at that time. Yeah. All he needed to do was say, hey, guys, let's support A-Rod. He's on the Yankees. We want to win. You're right. Yeah. That's exactly that's sorry. The, sorry, Rich. Go ahead. No, but that's not the kind of guy Jeter was, I feel like. He's not gonna go out of his way to do that for anybody, I don't think. He's the captain. Well that's I, that's yeah, the but he's not a he's job. not a he's not a vocal guy though. He's more of a behind the scenes type. I don't know. I feel like Posada was more of that guy, more of the vocal type that should have done something like that. See, I think Jeter is loyal to the people that his inner circle. I think he's loyal to Gerald Williams and like the guys that are within his circle. I think if one of those guys had something come up or somebody that, that that Jeter was friends with, he would have done that. But, you know, I was thinking exactly about the, the Maris and Mantle, you know, uh, conversation that we had about that as well. And I just think they're very, 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 very different scenarios. I mean, (laughs) Roger Maris is a freaking like homebody from North Dakota or wherever the hell he was from somewhere in the Midwest and that that did nothing wrong was just at the wrong place at the wrong time and people were you know mad at him but Alex Rodriguez was just a lightning rod for controversy and why would Derek Jeter try to vouch for him put his reputation on the line that he has been that he has been cultivating and and, and trying to uh, to build for so long why would he put himself at risk for a guy like Alex Rodriguez who is a schmuck in the in the oh. he's just a <clears throat> random schmuck <laughs> You're right. A-Rod's a schmuck. But if Jeter is supposed to be this fantastic leader and a team first guy, that's what a team first guy would do. He would sacrifice himself for the betterment of the team. And Jeter did not do that in this situation. And I don't even know if it would have worked because I think A-Rod is that much of a screw up. But he didn't do it. Probably because he knew A-Rod is that much of a screw up and it would have backfired almost immediately. Cousin Yuri would have been at his house for, for some reason, like trying to pick up I don't know, you know, a baseball well, bat. All of that happened 
we we get to 2009 and world series can cure a lot of stuff and i also think we saw a moment where jeter started to have some sympathy for a rod after that first ped scandal um he was on that list that wasn't supposed to be made public was made public Yankees win the World Series. A-Rod has an unbelievable run at the postseason, arguably leads the team to the postseason. I feel like 09-010, the relationship was on the way up, Rich. Yeah, like you said, winning is going to cure a lot cure a lot of ills. And I think when A-Rod started to finally produce in the clutch, Jeter was like, all right, it's about time. Like, you're helping us win ball games and win championships. I can tolerate you being on my team for... Uh, for the foreseeable future. So I think the winning went a long way. Um, and uh, also going back to the to the PED, to that news conference A-Rod had when, he, when they showed Jeter in the, uh, in the crowd. That was the last place he wanted to be, though. His face. Oh, that was great. I'll never forget watching that on ESPN and just seeing Jeter's face. Jeter showed up for Pettit's news conference. That's true. That's true. Everybody likes Pettit. Like I said, he, he'll show up for guys that he likes that are actually like decent guys. Maybe they make a mistake, but if you're a decent guy, Jeter will be there. He'll have your back. A-Rod, well, and then A-Rod's it, not a decent guy. And then in 2013, A-Rod went full heel. Steroid scandal number two. He's It's basically a tour de force of PR nightmare against baseball. He was at court hearings against Major League Baseball, storming into the Mike Francesa show. He gets suspended for the entire 2014 season. And I, I don't think you can underplay how Jeter was out for 2013 with that foot injury. And then in 2014, he's like, you know what? No A-Rod for a year. I'm going to make this my last season. Yeah, how happy do you think Jeter was that A-Rod was not there for his final year elated i think it was beautiful i think it was a story storybook ending for him no matter what happened on the field jeter had done everything he needed to do he really uh you know one more championship would have been great but they were not in that position he knew that and he knew they weren't going to get in that position in the next you know a couple years so why not why not leave without the circus the other circus and now here we are with awkward CNBC interviews and A-Rod not invited to the Jeter ceremony. Um, I, there's, these guys want nothing to do with one another at this point. And I, and I think at this point, Scott, it's mutual. Oh, I see. I disagree. I still think Alex Rodriguez would love to do, love anything to do with Derek Jeter. I mean, you put their, their names in the same conversation and who wins? A-Rod wins every time. Every little, single time. Uh... A little double date with J Lo, A Rod, and yeah. Hannah and Derek. A little, uh, little dinner and a movie action, maybe. Yeah. They, he would love it. I think. I think that <laughs> it would. I think the invitation goes out multiple times. You know, remember when we used yeah. to have sleepovers? We could do it again. I got <laughs> well, a bedroom, I, I th- an extra bedroom. J Lo has been to your house before, probably. <laughs> J A Rod dating J Lo is the first time in his career he's actually following in Jeter's footsteps. Is he not right? literally, is that but just following his lead. Jeter, that's a Jeter move, dating dating uh, celebrity type of J-Lo. Except, that's not an A-Rod move. Uh, A-Rod used to date those those women bodybuilders. <laughs> and like old businesswomen. Yeah, J-Woj or A-Woj. <laughs> but it, what is completely out of character is that Derek Jeter would never have dated her at this point in her career. Let's get that straight. She's Derek Jeter, she, She's aging nicely, that's Scott. That's fine, but Derek Jeter... Maybe. Jeter needs a young. Jeter's Jeter's a prime. Yeah, he he likes to. He's a. He likes to swoop in at the prime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they are very different off the field as far as the the if we're talking about the uh, the women <clears throat> and the dating scenarios, Jeter yeah. crushes a rod. It's not even close. 
That but, is an interesting conspiracy, though. You started at the beginning of this, Scott. Was there a mystery woman to step in between the two of them? Is that really at the crux of this this broken friendship? I have absolutely no doubt, and we will never know. Until Alex Rodriguez writes his tell-all when he's tell like 50. Tell-all book. Yeah, because that's probably happening, too. <clears throat> you know, go, go, going back to that CNBC interview, I mean, I think they bonded a little bit, right, during that whole thing? Well— just in their Maybe. hatred of the guy that, that was interviewing them? Yeah. No, I, I think... Go ahead. I, yeah, no, I, was, I, I made the argument when it happened was that, that I think that they did bond over like the complete awkwardness of the situation and something like that that's so random and awkward. Like, what is this guy doing? Like, who is this guy? I could see them having you know some Joe 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 laughs about, about this dude and maybe grabbing a beer in, very, in private. <laughs> but I don't it think... Did, I don't think it lasted long, though. I no. think Jeter quickly came to his senses and said all right that's an, that's enough a rod so the bottom line is that jeter has nothing to win nothing to gain yeah. from anything that alex rodriguez has nothing zero yeah i think i think the bottom line is a rod coming to the yankees elevated jeter's status among yankee fans and lowered a rods around baseball and i think <laughs> jeter loves i think jeter loves that yeah, and, and that all happened as they won less than when before he came. So, right. amazing. Yeah, just it's amazing what somebody who's making an ass out of themselves 50 feet to your right can do to your uh, public image. So, um, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you love to be A-Rod's psychiatrist? Just God. to get inside that mind of his and wonder, like, what the hell is going on? That guy is not paid enough. Pull out no. stuff, birth control, <laughs> baby. That's it. That's what's inside his mind. That's, that's the J-Lo checklist. <laughs> All right, guys. Hopefully, we got to the bottom of this, and hopefully, we uh, gave you guys a little bit of a Jeter and A Rod fix. Rich, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.